0: Welcome to the Art and Science of Joy podcast. This podcast is all about inspiring people to live more joyfully. So if you're seeking a bit more joy in your own life or seeking to bring some more joy to the lives of others, then this podcast could well be for you. And in the second series of the podcast, we're focusing on joy superpowers, special powers each and every one of us can cultivate and use in our lives. I'm Andrew Cannon, and I have the honor to be your host. In each episode, I'll be inviting our guests to share their words of wisdom on a specific joy superpower, whether that's in relation to personal growth, genuine belonging, positive impact, or simply having fun. So welcome to episode nine of the Joy Superpower series. Today I'm going to be talking with Kim Jocelyn Dixon, and together we're going to be exploring the joy superpower of reading, as well as taking a deep dive into the special superpower of reading to children. Kim, is a parent, educator, writer, and a lifelong lover of books. Books have always had a powerful influence on Kim from inspiring her to play as a child to inspiring her to become an author as an adult. Kim has nearly 30 years of experience in the elementary school classroom and currently teaches literature and writing in an independent school in Southern California. Kim frequently speaks on reading's powerful impact on young lives and Kim has published author of various articles in psychology, literature, women's issues, and religion, amongst other topics. Kim is author of The Invisible Toolbox, The Power of Reading to Your Child from Birth to Adolescence, a book which aggregates research findings in neuroscience, education, and psychology, along with practical anecdotal experience from the classroom and parenting to illustrate that the first years of life are critical in the healthy development of children. (sighs) That was a long sentence. But amazing stuff, Kim, and welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Andrew. It's a pleasure to be with you.
0: Well, it's lovely to have you here, and I'm so much looking forward to chatting with you. Good with I start. am too.
1: That introduction was great, and you just sort of said it all. I'm not sure what else there is to say.
0: I'm sure we find a lot more <laughs> to say, Kim. Don't worry about that. And if we could start our conversation by talking about how books and the power of imagination have affected your own life, that would be wonderful.
1: Sure. Uh, Looking back, I I just remember that I've always loved reading. I've always been a reader. I've, you know, as I've thought about the influence that parents have on their children and their attitudes towards books, I have to give my mother credit for reading to us, to me and my older brothers, to making sure that we were uh, taking regular trips to the library and we just always had access to books But when I think about their impact on me personally, I think about um, how they've actually inspired me in my life to take action about things. And so I, for for example, when I was a little girl was really into this um, series, this mystery series called the Trixie Belden Mystery Series. And the blurb on the book was, <clears throat> Do you? Would you like to solve mysteries, belong to a secret club, ride, swim, travel, go to parties with the best friends in the world, and the adventures of Trixie Belden for you? So I mean, they were just these fabulous books that appealed to my imagination, and I devoured them. I read them multiple times, and then I would take. The ideas in the book and bring them into my own play life, impacting my dear best friend, Sally, who lived next door, who would go along with any capers or ideas that I had. I, you know, our bicycles became our horses and we, you know, would ride our bikes all over the neighborhood looking for mysteries. We formed a secret club. So
0: nice! So I can I imagine did... you in a treehouse. Did you have a treehouse?
1: <laughs> oh, I wish <laughs> I had a treehouse. We did have a tent in the backyard.
0: There you go. That'll no
1: treehouse. But, but I think that is an example of how books can inspire people to take action in their lives. And then in terms of my own history, too, um, there was another book that had a tremendous impact on me. Um, when I was a graduate student at Princeton Seminary, I was home at my parents one summer and feeling a little lost and... Uh, You know, kind of not sure about what I wanted to do, what direction I wanted to Mm -hmm. take. And I discovered a copy, my grandmother's copy of Ann Marle Lindbergh's Gift from the Sea, that she had passed away when I was 10. She was a very important person in my life. Mm -hmm. I was aware of this book, but I'd never read it. And I picked it up and read it and discovered, you know, that my grandmother had underlined parts of Ann Marle Lindbergh's book that were meaningful to her that brought me sort of into this communion with this grandmother who had played such an important role in my life. And I don't know if you're familiar with Ann Lindbergh's gift from the sea, but it's a beautifully meditative book on, um, on the inner life and um, our place in the world. It's just, I highly recommend it to anybody who's not familiar with it, but what it did was inspire me to want to learn more about her. And so um, this was back in the days before the internet, and I was scouring used bookstores for her books. She had published diaries and letters. A lot of these things were very hard to find. Some libraries had them, but I ended up being able to collect her entire collection of published work and just immersed myself in it. And it took many years and even therapy, I think, for me to understand what was it about these books that so um, captured me and inspired me? What was it that obsessed me about them? And and what I realized is that I connected under the surface of the books with this woman who lacked confidence in herself, who longed to be a writer, who didn't think she could do it. Um, So, so I guess when, and and of course those books are the books that initially inspired me to become an author. My first book were reflections on Anne-Marie Lindbergh's diaries Mm. and letters. So I wrote a book about, um, what some of her passages and some of her writings meant to me. Um, so I think those two examples from my own history, um, say something about how books and authors do have the power to connect with us at a very deep level and inspire us um, to understand more about who we are and what we can do in the world. And I think that's really true um, for anyone who's searching in that way and looking for themselves, looking for their place in the world. That's one aspect of reading I think that's very powerful.
0: Well, thanks Fascinating introduction to this topic. Thank you, Kim. I love the way you said that it was on sort of multiple levels. There was a sort of journey into your own life and discovering yourself. There was a journey into the, the life of the author and discovering her life, but also a journey into the life of your grandmother and sort of understanding, well, why did she underline this part and, and not another part? and did you find yourself underlining the same passages or did you find other parts of the book that inspired you
1: um you know I did not do that in gift from the sea because I think that book just felt so special mm. um having been my grandmother's That I don't think I would add anything to it but I certainly connected to those things that she underlined um but I did that um Oh yeah, all throughout Anne's collection of her five published diaries and letters. I mean, they are dog-eared. I've got post-it notes stuck throughout them. Yeah, they have been really, really well worked over. But you're right, I do think that there is a sort of communion that goes on. And the fact, I mean, I think it probably would have happened between myself and Anne Mara Lindbergh's book. Um, but bringing my grandmother into it was an extremely powerful thing too, because I didn't have the privilege of knowing her as an adult. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it sort of gave me that, um, kind of a, an ability to know her being in a different developmental place myself.
0: That's a gift. That's a gift. And the other thing I, I enjoyed you mentioning was that, you know, if you're seeking something, you can find it in the pages of a book perhaps and I also wonder about the other side of that by you know not just seeking but entering with an open mind just picking a book randomly from a shelf and letting yourself be drawn into the mystery that awaits you.
1: Yeah I'm trying to think how often I do that usually there's something that hooks me about it that I feel like there's some internal curiosity, but, but I think when I pulled that book off the shelf, I mean, the only reason I think I did it is because the, the Lindbergh name was, um, I was so familiar with. I come from St. Louis, Missouri, which mm-hmm. is where Charles Lindbergh's Spirit of St. Louis Airplane um, it derived its funding and its name and my high school was named after that. So there was always like a little curiosity about this book on our shelf. Um, but I didn't pick it up earlier. I picked it up at just the time that I needed it when I was searching.
0: That's interesting. Yeah, As if it was calling you somehow. And I you, think it was. I think it was
1: one of those moments of grace. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, because it certainly opened many doors for me. And led me on a journey I never would have imagined. A little book like
0: that—it's been a fantastic journey, and we're going to deep dive into that journey as we talk on in this episode. I'd like to focus a little bit more broadly on the this power of reading. Obviously, it's had a major impact on your own life Um, in many ways. You've already given us a small window into that. How do you see reading? impacting us on a societal level
1: that's a great question That's a big question um well just on a very broad way i mean i think reading literacy is something that's important societally because i mean we want we want our society to be composed of individuals that um that have, um, you know, that have these skills that can read, that can think. I mean, I think that literacy skills cause a person to think it causes us to open our eyes outside of ourselves. I mean, I think that's one of the, the movements of, of, of uh, reading, you know, that I was kind of describing in my own life and that I've certainly seen in others. Because um, it, ta- it holds up a mirror to us but it also opens up the world to us. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so important for people to have that openness to the world as well as into themselves um, in order to contribute to the society. Um, Just in terms of functional literacy overall, there is this urban myth in the United States that, that, people who plan for prisons, for building prisons, check third grade literacy levels. Now in the United States, third grade would be eight and nine year olds um, to determine whether, you know, what they're going to be needing in the future. Now, this is an urban myth, it's not necessarily true, but what is true about it is that third grade is considered this watershed year. In other words, if a child is not reading on grade level by third grade, if they don't have those fundamental literacy Mm. skills, um, they will will be unable to fulfill the potential that they could have, and it will impact their options for their future lives. Um, uh, People that are in prisons typically do have very low literacy levels, so so, I look at reading as a critical, fundamental, necessary skill for human beings to have in order to fulfill their potential as individuals and therefore, um, you know, um, causing their societies to flourish.
0: Definitely. I mean, I think everybody has this potential within them, obviously, all different potentials in, in different areas. And I can see how reading can be a key to unlocking that potential, not only by broadening your perspective, perhaps by also developing your own curiosity and seeing yourself in a different way, as well as you dive into those pages.
1: I think that is exactly right. It is the key.
0: It is the key. So. The of life. So let's say it's the key and so we know the the lock is maybe a bit rusty in today's world and the key is not always turning as fluidly as it should do within that lock. So what do you think are some of the biggest challenges today when it comes to reading?
1: Well, I do think that the technological revolution that we've experienced um, in the last few years has had and will continue to have if we're not um, aware of it. I, it a, tremendous, a tremendous impact on, on reading frequency. Um, it certainly has with children and I think it has with adults as well. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we just have so many options for entertainment now at our fingertips and there's no waiting for anything. I mean, you can stream anything of interest to you and it's easy to do. Um, Reading requires um, deeper concentration, more concerted effort in terms of thinking. And um, so I I do think technology is, is one of the things that's had an impact. I think attitudes towards reading um, can have an impact as well. I think, sadly, that the stereotype of the bookworm—you know, the person that's mm-hmm. just sitting inside with their book all day, um, lost to the world—has um, kind of a negative stereotype that I see as being sort of problematic with with children. Um, that you know if your child is a big reader that means they're not going to be well-rounded that means they're not going to do or be interested in exploring other things I don't think that's necessarily true Um, but I do think the fear of being like a nerd or a geek is which is what I don't know what they call where you are but that's what kids are called who are smart and who read here um, so I think the culture around it, the understanding of it, at least here in the U.S., um, needs to have a bit of consciousness raising.
0: Yeah, I think that's interesting. So if you took a bunch of kids um, and you asked them, you know, are you readers? You know, would there sort of be a negative sort of connotation to that sort of putting up your hand and sort of fearing that your peers would think you rather strange um not conforming to the to the norms
1: i think it comes down to the culture of the school Mm. um, where they are because schools can have different cultures around that i happen to teach in an independent school where um reading and um, scholarship is valued and so it's it's sort of for kids that care about reading or care about learning um it's kind of like big weight off their shoulders it's okay to want to learn it's okay to love books but not every place is like that Hmm. and so i think um and media
0: can be influential on that can't it and i remember in my own sort of life and reading to my son the harry potter books uh, and the way that you know they hemionic Ranger actually becomes you know a hero from this nerdy yeah. stereotype and the actual power of having that knowledge and that ability to read in the, that series is made into a very positive thing and I'm sure that's not by chance from the author a uh, very deliberate choice to yeah that's a great example make her a hero because that's what we need right we need more positive heroes as we kids. Do.
1: We do. And, you know, when I talk to kids about the value of reading, we, I do speak about it in terms of the value of our, our, our reading as a superpower. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, coming at it from that point of view, I think, um, helps them. And I also talk about famous people that they know of um, that for whom reading was their key to the life that they've lived and the success they've had. So... Um,
0: yeah, it's yeah. yeah. We definitely more need more of those heroes to come forward and um, set the example and yes. tell the world why, especially kids, why they enjoy and love reading. The tech revolution is an interesting one, you know, because technology is you know, by itself neutral. It's I don't think it's either positive or negative. It's just a neutral thing, and obviously we have the power then to do with it as we as we like unfortunately that power is not distributed evenly and some people and some organizations have more power than others to to influence things as we know mm-hmm. and one of the pet peeves i have with that is that they've somehow tried to, or they market that easiness is good so you know we can make your life easy and, and therefore that's a good thing and in my own life i'm very much aware That it's really been the things I've had to work for that have been the most rewarding, not the easy things. So, you know, turning on Netflix is extremely easy, it's extremely entertaining, but it doesn't leave the same emotional connection, the same emotional power that reading a good book would do, even if that was much harder cognitively to read the book. The reward, is in relation to that effort you actually put in, I think, in many ways.
1: It's very true.
0: So that's a wonderful thing to, to see that, you know, technology doesn't have to be bad. Um, I want to turn to Joy, because obviously that's the focus of the podcast in, in many ways. And to, to talk about sort of the correlation between reading and Joy, if I may for a moment. And research shows that there is indeed a correlation. One example we picked up in our research was um, according to Quick Reads, adults that read for just 30 minutes a week were 20% more likely to feel satisfied with their lives than, than other people. Why do you think this is the case? Are there any specific areas of feeling satisfied with one's life that you think can be attributed to reading?
1: Yeah, there have been a lot of studies like that done. Um, One of them has to do with how reading puts the brain into a state that's very similar to meditation. Mm. It it enhances deep relaxation and inner calm. Um, Other studies have found that it reduces stress as much as. Here's a statistic for you, 68% for only six minutes of reading. It's kind of remarkable. Wow. It improves sleep. It cultivates creativity and empathy. All of these things are like deep dive studies that have been done that I find so fascinating. It lowers rates of depression. Um, The study about empathy, I think, is really interesting. And one that I write about in my book because when we read fiction we necessarily put ourselves into the shoes Mm. of the characters that we're reading about so it actually activates the part of the brain that is activated through the feeling of empathy so readers of fiction practice empathy and then it can affect one's life which makes total sense to me because if reading broadens your outlook and your understanding of people outside of yourself, um, it seems to me that that's going to encourage you to be a more empathetic person. That is so true. Um, so, yeah, I think lowered stress, better sleep, creativity, empathy, lower rates of depression, all of these things contribute to a feeling of satisfaction and more joy. Um, one of the things that occurs to me along these lines is thinking about how, for myself, how thankful I've been that I'm a reader through the last year and a half of quarantining, um, that um, being able to sort of, you know, dive into a book enables one to escape in some ways from one's outside circumstances and, you um, you know, when you think of what the outcomes of reading are that we just talked about, that's a healthy kind of escape. You know, it's much better for you to escape into something that's going to reduce your stress, increase your outlook, make you smarter, um, entertain you in a way that's physiologically even better for you. So, um, so, yeah, there's a lot of research to support the idea that reading is just good for you.
0: There isn't. It makes you more joyful. So one of your tips, I suppose, would be to not take your phone to bed, but take a good book.
1: <laughs> Definitely not. Leave those devices outside the bedroom. Yeah, I, I do that. I leave mine actually downstairs plug it in and yeah, take that book with you.
0: Take that book with you. Yeah. Least, and even research, just for 20 minutes. So.
1: Right. And there's research too about the, the light in the screens, the blue light in the screens um, being detrimental and in interrupting sleep cycles as well. Oh, and I think that's a really important thing for, for parents to know about kids that um, even reading before bed, it's probably better for them to do it in a book than to do it with a screen that may have an impact on them with that blue light.
0: Right. And so there may be people listening to the podcast who are feeling a bit guilty, maybe a little bit of shame at the moment, saying, oh, crumbs, you know, that's me taking my telephone to bed and not taking my book and not reading, even though they see all the benefits to this. So we looked at some research by somebody called Susan Moll and Adriana Buss. And they stated that, you know, exposure to books, exposure to print had some wonderful benefits during people's developmental states and phases as children going up So, as we talked about, you know, books can stimulate this in, in a way, even if people don't know how to read as a child, that environment can, can stimulate them. And as they grow up as children, it helps their oral language development, obviously, as they start to read and they become better spellers. And university students who read to pleasure tend to be more successful academically. So it's not just academic reading, but also reading for pleasure. But when you think about it from a, a cognitive perspective, you know, is there a benefit even starting late in life? You know, you could be 60, or 70, and you haven't really been much of a reader. Can you see a, a benefit to starting it? even at this late stage in life?
1: Oh, absolutely. I'm I'm really of the belief that it's never too late for anything. If you really want to do something. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, I do think, on the other hand, there are developmental windows where um, certain things are easier for us at certain times in our lives developmentally, but... But I would say, yeah, that um, I I mean, I've known many adults that have, you know, didn't really become big readers until later on, you know, something may have inspired them. Um, I know that my reading has shifted, even though I've always loved reading. I wasn't reading a lot of um, a lot of challenging stuff until later on in my 20s um, and beyond that. So I'm really, I'm really with Carol Dweck of the growth mindset point of view that our brains can continue to grow as our interests grow. I think it's really about being open, um, that that's really the key. And if we're open and curious and Mm. want something, uh, it's never too late.
0: It's never too late to start. That's that's true. So if you are listening and you're thinking you could read a bit more, go grab that book, pop down the library. Um, they've got a wonderful selection, I'm sure, to choose from.
1: Yeah, Let's... and it's, just to get back to your J.K. Wow. Rowling, J.K. Rowling says about children who don't like to read, and I think it's true for adults too, if you don't like to read, it's that you haven't found your books yet. Mm. And I think that's something to remind people about if they're feeling, um, like maybe it's something they'd like to do, but they're really not sure if books are for mm. them. There really is something for everyone.
0: And it's okay to say you don't like a book. It's okay to stop reading it. You don't have to read it through to the bitter end. Right, if Life is
1: short, yes. I am a firm believer Life in is too short
0: books. to be wasted on a bad book.
1: Exactly
0: even though it's not a bad book it's just not the right book for you I think that's what you were saying
1: I think that's exactly right yeah I do think there's a a rightness about that and uh, sometimes even a timing I find too that there's certain books that I've tried to read at one point just could not get through them Mm. for whatever reason and sometime later pick them up and enjoy them thoroughly so timing I think is important
0: I think it's important maybe we need and this is bringing technology back into the conversation maybe we need tinder for books or maybe it is out there (laughs) that you can swipe left and swipe right on these books and find the one that works for you
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah I think that's great yeah and just to jump in I'm not anti-technology I mean you and I would not be speaking today halfway across the world from each other were it not for technology it's a it's a wonderful thing, but it's, I think it's just that we have to be very conscious about it, especially when it comes to our children.
0: Yeah, let's, let's talk about that because we know that reading obviously is hugely important to children. But the question that pops to my mind is, does the medium matter? Is you know online reading as beneficial as reading on paper or is there a significant difference between the two?
1: That is a great question, digital versus print. Um, There is a professor at UCLA here in Southern California, Marianne Wolf, who has done work just in that area. And I was fortunate to hear her speak at a conference a couple of years ago. And her position is that yes, there is a difference. She has found this from her studies and it has to do with depth versus skimming. Mm -hmm. When we read on devices, we tend to read um, at a more surface level, skimming, looking for the next thing, um, kind of popping around. When we open a book and read prints, it allows us to sink into deeper reading, which of course enables more full um, concentration, our undivided attention. Uh, So, yeah, there is, there is definitely a difference. Um, I don't know what your experience is is with this. I can tell you for myself, I've experienced this in my own reading life. Um, Mm. I was sort of a latecomer to social media. And I have found since I am online more that my own um, attention span for deep reading has been impacted because there's a part of my brain that's always kind of thinking in the background, wonder what's going on out there. You Mm. know, is there anything that I'm missing? And so, um, I don't know that I've solved this for myself. I think it's, you know, it's about leaving devices, kind of like you say, at bedtime, maybe putting them in a separate room, but I've experienced this for myself that has, it has impacted, um, the way that my attention works in my my own reading with print. Um, I'm not sure what the solution is except to lock up those devices.
0: Yeah, we get, we get back to <laughs> that. I also to, I love them. I yeah. love
1: what it enables. I love it. I think we just have to really be aware of this and make decisions for ourselves.
0: To seek about... the balance. Yeah, I think you know what I find is that skimming definitely um, especially as I've got a touchscreen laptop as well that I just can skim through it just like uh, on a telephone. Something else that I find myself doing is, you know, having multiple windows open and therefore, as you say, thinking, okay, what's happening on this thread or what's happening in that channel? And so that focus, that ability just to get into the thing is impacted. And, and then finally, my eyes get more tired, I find um, looking at the screen than they do reading a book.
1: I agree. I so. do find that there is a, yeah, that I, if I've spent too much time skimming and zipping from platform to platform, there is kind of an exhaustion that comes in and there, it's not a good feeling of exhaustion. It's just a, it's a tired feeling. It's, it's a, kind of an unsatisfactory feeling. Whereas if I've spent time deeply in a book. Hmm. A different feeling of
0: satisfaction. It is, and yeah. we know we talked about screens and we know that not all content is equal on a screen. So, you no, know, we can't say that, as you say, all technology is bad, all content on screens is bad, but we did find research by MacArthur and colleagues into toddler's use of screens, which showed that increased use of screens significantly decreases the amount of time they spent reading at the age of five and up. So giving the screens to toddlers has a negative impact on how they're reading as older children. How does that sort of reference your knowledge in the classroom as well as obviously through your own research?
1: Absolutely, yeah, there is a a relationship between the amount of time that that children spend on screens and the amount of time that they spend reading. yeah, in fact, you know, in the classroom, I, I can, I can always spot the kids that spend a lot of time online, just mm-hmm. by their affect their behavior. Um, these kids have a harder time concentrating, um, paying attention. Yeah. Um, t- tasks that are kind of complicated are more frustrating for them um yeah there's just and there's also a, a sense of distance in them as well you know that mm, there's just a little bit of a disconnect so so yeah there's definitely a relationship between screen time and amount of time spent reading and when you bring up toddlers um Yeah, that has to do with, you know, the the years before they come to school here in the US, it's five kindergarten. Um, These are critical years in which 80 to 90% brain growth happens and, um, you know, teachers have always known from observation that what happens in those early years has a huge impact Mm. on their readiness for school and for learning to read. But now, um, you know, we've got all of these great studies. Neuroscientists are able to actually look at the brain, look at the brains of young children, and compare them. And Dr. John Hutton from uh, Cincinnati Children's here in the U.S. has a liter uh, a study that uh, his group is studying all of this and i was fortunate to be at a conference this summer where he presented and the brains of students or not students young children under the age of five who have more screen time versus brains children with less screen time and have been read to there is a a distinct difference in the two in terms of the language centers that have been stimulated their executive functioning um, there's a profound difference in that and people who work with children know this mm. simply from observing kids in the classroom in terms of who comes you know to school ready to learn it's one of the things that has inspired me to write the book that i wrote because it's so clear that reading to children from the beginning on before they go to school has such a profound impact on their ability to learn to read and to be successful in school, to have all those tools in their toolbox when they come. Um, that, you know, parents, parents need to understand that. I mean, I think everyone knows reading is a good mm. thing mean, that's always been widely known. But what's wonderful about what's happening now is that now scientists are proving why it matters so much.
0: Yeah, and I, I think, think that's, that's really so important because the the difference now is obviously, as you say, that the options that the children have, even toddlers, you know, to put an iPad in their in their crib, yeah. is an option some parents take um, because it's right. easy, it's convenient, it calms the kid down. I remember being in a restaurant last week with my own daughter and. We were seeing a family on the the table next to us and they had a very sort of young infant, probably about eight months or something, who the mother was obviously, you know, going to breastfeed. Um, So, you know, she was taking care of the younger one. The other child would have been about three and started having a bit of a tantrum. Uh, and my daughter said that, oh, you know, that, that's cute. You know, she wants to, you know, attention from her mother. And but what happened was she didn't really care about the mother. She went straight to the mother's handbag and pulled out her phone, her mother's phone. And, you know, the mother turned it on and she just sat there, you know, looking at something on the phone. And all of a sudden the tantrum was over. And that was just my, my child, you know, her own jaw dropped at watching that. And so, wow. It's, yeah, is it's, it is.
1: it's astonishing, isn't it? And so understandable. Wow. I mean, because anybody who's been a parent of a preschooler or, or a baby when you're out in public or at the airport or something like that, it's not easy. And I can understand why parents reach for these things mm-hmm. because there's that helpless feeling. But on the other hand, um, I think, again, that's where it's so important for people to realize what's at stake when they make choices like that. Yeah. Um, speaking of preschoolers, again, I just wrote an article about um, the number one show on Netflix, which is Coco Melon. It is targeted to preschoolers, and it is targeted as developmentally appropriate nursery rhymes, songs, all those mm. songs that you want your child to learn when they're little. Um, But it is the number one streaming show on Netflix. I mean, over and against all those shows that got people through the quarantine, which is astonishing. And on the other hand, not surprising at all as a survival mechanism. Mm. But again, the downside of that is that it is not a replacement for curling up with your child in your lap opening that book of nursery rhymes and reading to them. Um, One of the critical things that Dr. John Hutton's study found, the one who's working out of Cincinnati Children's Hospital, is that one of of the essential differences between popping a child in front of a screen with nursery rhymes and sitting with them with, with a book in your lap, with the child in your lap reading nursery rhymes. The key piece that's missing is that nurturing connection between the mm. child and the parent, And this is one of the most important foundational pieces of this whole topic. I think when it comes to um, the developmental issues around reading and young children, it's that connection between the parent and the child that makes all the difference. And, um, not only in terms of what that does in the brain for the child's development helping them thrive but it has a huge impact on a child's attitude about reading because when an adult when their parent who is everything in the world to them Mm -hmm. spends time with them focusing just on them in a book what does that tell them is important they're important books are important you know it introduces them to what the rewards and the payoffs are when you read a book. Mm-hmm. Children who come to school that have not been taught what the rewards and the payoffs are are really at a disadvantage because reading, learning to read is hard work. If you don't come to school with those tools in your toolbox that have scaffolded um, all those pre-literacy skills, literally in your brain and in your heart, your attitude, Um, why should you care about letters and the sounds they make? And what is this, you know, Uh kids who come to school having been read to already know that there's going to be something in that, the joy of the story. They already understand that. So they come with an open heart towards reading.
0: Yeah, I think this opening up of the parents' awareness, as you said, you know, nobody wants to be the, the parent whose kid's having a tantrum in the in the floor of the restaurant. You know, it's obvious. So, you know, these moments, it, it's understandable that parents make decisions um, just to get out of the situation, so to speak. Yeah. But it's about balance to me. I think, you know, our research, we couldn't get a precise number, but it says, I think, about six hours of screen time to one hour of reading was something like the average that the kids were having at the moment which and I think and that's the thing that we want parents to focus on is to think about that balance of of how many hours a day their kids are on devices versus how many hours a day they're actually reading and and ensuring that balance through the week or through the month is is reasonable for the development of their child's sake it's it's there's a lot at stake here
1: there is a lot at stake, and I think you're absolutely right. Making conscious decisions about how your family is going to use their use these things and spend their time, I think, is a really important thing to do. Otherwise, those devices can just creep in and suck time. Um, I think, too, ideally, help um, teaching your child to love stories and books. If you can do that before you introduce screens, I think Mm. is ideal. So it's to sort of get them hooked ahead of time because um, let's face it, the devices are very addictive. You know, as you and I were talking about in terms of ourselves as adults, Mm. um, the people that created these things know what they were doing. I mean, there's the story about Steve Jobs. When the iPad was introduced, he was asked, So how do your children like the iPad? And he says, well, they haven't, I haven't used it with them. I haven't introduced it to them because they know, Mm. they know how utterly, utterly addictive it is. So it, you know, I, I think my, my son has grown now. I just think it's not an easy time to be a parent because this does, I mean, this is another factor that, um, parents have to sort of deal with. Definitely, Which is definitely. why I really, you know, I just hope, I, I, I just really want to get to, you know, I mean, it's one of the reasons that I wrote my book, um, is to, to help them understand from the get-go, from, from the beginning, to avoid heartache later on. Yeah.
0: So let's start, let's go to that area, because I think what you just said is key, it's fundamental, to get them to inspire them to love books before you give them the device that's half the battle half the battle won if they already have that passion and that love for books before that happens and obviously one of the ways you can do that is by reading to them before they can actually read themselves so that's what I'd like to focus the part of our discussion on now to talk about the power of reading to children I know you mentioned uh, the beginning discovering your grandmother's copy of Anne Morrow Lindbergh's gift from the sea book and how that sparked a journey of research and personal discovery for you that inspired you to become an author and to write The Invisible Toolkit. And I love the quote by Jeff Connors on your website, who's president of the Dollywood Foundation, which says that reading aloud to your child from birth is one of the greatest gifts you can give to a child. And could you elaborate a little on why this is so true?
1: Sure. Um, this is really kind of the essence of what the book that I wrote is about the invisible toolbox, the power of reading to your child mm. from birth to adolescence, because it really comes out of, you know, my many decades in the classroom and observing what it means to a child in school in terms of their ability to be successful. Um, so there's that practical piece of it. And of course, along with that comes the superpower of joy. Mm. You give this, them this tremendous gift. The love of reading is something that they will carry for, forward in their lives forever. It's always going to be something that they can draw on through the ups and downs of life. But in terms of the practical part, which is, you know, as a teacher, it was something that's just was so cl- has been become so clear to me because I could see the difference in children who had really had no exposure before school to reading. Mm. I mean, they really come to school at a deficit because they're missing the scaffolding that occurs. So when a parent reads to a child from the beginning, it what I say I have, I mean, the, the invisible toolbox is a metaphor basically for, um, for the tremendous gifts that they're given for the tools that they're given an enriched vocabulary, for example, which is, um, which we understand to be the key to school success, because Mm -hmm. the more words that, you know, the more words that you understand, the more words that you will understand when the teacher speaks, when you read books, there's so much that goes into reading comprehension in terms of bringing a background of understanding to that. So vocabulary is critical. And there are words that student, that kids will come across in school that they will never hear in their daily lives, probably not spoken at home, mm. not in the movies, not television, not YouTube, that they'll only come across in books. And some of those rare words are the key to understanding some of the complex things that they're going to be studying as they are students. Um, the, uh, so there's, in my book I talk about, I think there's approximately 10 tools that I write about and explore from um, having an easier time with writing, grammar, spelling, as you mentioned, all of those things. And it's because what happens when we read to our children is that you know the brain is literally making connections The synapses between the neurons are actually growing physically. And the way I look at that is sort of as I I think of it in terms of scaffolding, you know, that there are these layers of experience that come through exposure to oral language from stories from print being read to. I don't mean a child reading over school. I don't push that at all Mm. Um, that create. Um, that toolbox, it is the ability to be able to take advantage of what school offers. Um, There is a lot that I think people have not necessarily always understood about that scaffolding that needs to happen before a child ever sets foot in kindergarten. How
0: important that foundation.
1: Their first year. It really, it is critical because it's really all about brain development, about um, nurturing attitudes, as I mentioned about that nurturing connection that Mm. helps, Um, you know, the parent connect the child to books in a way that fosters this sense of joy and reward. Those things are incredible gifts. They are life gifts. They're not just for, you know, functioning in school, which is of course critical, but they are gifts that will Carry a child forward into life,
0: as I've said. It's amazing. help
1: a child develop their potential.
0: It's amazing. It's amazing. When we talk about joy and we talk about living a joyful life, we talk about four pillars of joy. We talk about growth or well being. We talk about belonging. We talk about having a positive impact. And we talk about having fun. And I can see Very clearly, having talked to you for the last half an hour or so, probably a bit longer by now, but talking to you, I can see how reading plays into all of those four pillars. It can be fun. It can help you connect. It can help you um, develop or reduce your stress, um, improve your sleep, all those physical and emotional well-being impacts as well as broadening your mind, which enables you to have a much greater impact on your environment, on the people around you. So I think it's amazing that connection I can see from what you've been talking to me today.
1: Yeah, that's, that's uh, very interesting that you connected to the four pillars. Yeah, because people, I don't know that most people connect reading with joy, but mm. um, I mean, readers do readers know Um, but but i think you're absolutely right i mean um and i love that you know that we now have all this research to back up Mm. what many have intuitively understood about it and um
0: but what a gift to your children to give them even if you don't have to worry about all four pillars at once even if you select okay let's do let's read to my child just for fun tonight um let's think about how connection another time you can sort of don't have to do everything at once, but you have this knowledge within you from your invisible toolbox that, hey, this is going to help my kid in their future life. It's a gift.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's it. I think it's um, it's it's just such a multifaceted experience. Um, I think you know, when a parent reads to a child, there should always, it should always be about fun. Um, I, I feel that, you know, it's in this, if you don't mind me kind of going back to something you mentioned about guilt mm. um, a few minutes ago, Not at all. it just popped into my head because I, I really, I get concerned about people who hear, oh yeah, you need to start at birth and read on. Well, what if I didn't do that? What if I didn't know to do that? Um, I didn't have time, whatever. You know, that guilt that can come because we, I think as parents, that's always nipping at our heels, you know, if we've done what we needed to do, but what I guess I would say about this is that, um, it's never too late to start and something that I tell my parents, I've got older student, you know, 10 year old, 11 year old students. And, and I talk to my students, parents about this often, um, how even at this age, you know, this is a good place to start. I mean, it's a powerful, especially at this age, because they're pre adolescent, they're still open and wanting to spend time Mm -hmm. with parents. But that, you know, for a parent who maybe their child is struggling in school and their teacher tells them, well, you know, which I would do, you know, go to the library with them, check out books, read them together it should always be about fun. It's not about we have to do this for 30 minutes a night. It's not about, you know, ticking off a a reading log checklist. It's about it should always be something that we approach as something pleasurable with our child. So I just had to sort of insert that there and to let any listeners know who might not have, you know, been able to read to their child at a young
0: age. Don't feel bad about it.
1: Yeah. And that it's, it's really all about joy and pleasure. Right. That's really the secret.
0: And today is a good place to start. And it's, it's not about performance. And it reminds me of my discussion last week with Ben Page on forest bathing and how spending time in nature is such an important joy superpower. But a lot of people are also doing that in a sort of performance metric way. Instead of just saying, no, I'm just going to be in nature, I'm just going to relax and I'm not stressing if I didn't have any time this week because I can do it next week. Uh, You know, with some of these apps we've got, we get stressed, you know, if we haven't been reading, exercising this week, you know, we're giving ourselves a hard time as bad people are. My app reminded me today because I haven't done what I was supposed to do for losing weight, that I'm a bad person. And I'm thinking, I don't need that. You know, I love the app, but why do you have to keep telling me every day I'm a bad person?
1: (laughs) Uh, Right. I can do without (laughs) that bit. Right, whatever the activity is, whether it's forest bathing or reading, if we can um, frame it, you know, in our in our minds as something that is so rewarding or pleasurable that it's just the thing itself. I mean, um, when I think about when my son was young and um, I remember distinctly, like when there was a certain hard time I was going through. That, you know, those those moments at the end of the day when everything was done, all the chores are done, the work is done, and you could just sort of relax, sit down in a comfortable chair and open a book and read together, it was, you know, one of the best times of the day. And if, if that experience can be framed that way, um, Uh, And that's another point that I I think I ought to make is that it should be just as pleasurable for the adult as it should be for the child. You know, that that reading experience should be a communal thing that they're both enjoying together. I mean, that's the best if that can happen.
0: The bond. And those are the moments, you know, at least I remember very well with both of my children. The moments of, of reading to them, especially before bed. And having that tender moment um, together with the child bonding um, things. Those memories do stay with you. stick with you. They do. They do. It's wonderful. Just one last question on your book. You mentioned that there are different tools in in the toolbox. Do you have a personal favorite?
1: Personal favorite of the tools. Oh, I like them all. But, mm-hmm. um, That's
0: why you wrote yeah. about them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> They're all so important. They're probably more than I even wrote about. Um, but, you know, it keeps coming, I keep coming back to connection. I, I really think that one of the most important things is the connection that happens between a parent and child, kind of just as you were alluding to. Mm-hmm. You remember those experiences before bed with your two children. Um, that is a bond between you that they remember too that will always be with you and I've experienced that with my son as well in fact it continues to be a source of connection for us um, because he's a he's still a, a, a huge reader and we talk books and swap books back and forth and so it's still an important point of connection for us so I would say that is probably my favorite because I see it as being so foundational to the others because without that, none of the others really happen, you know?
0: Um, That's beautiful. That is so beautiful. I mean, that that connection and that then leads, I suppose, to this empathy that you talked about right at the beginning and how books can help you be more empathic in your life as well. So that's really wonderful. Unfortunately, Kim, that's all we've got time for today. And I'd like to thank you, obviously, from the bottom of my heart for coming onto to the show today and sharing both your wisdom, but also your passion for the joy superpower of reading. So thank you, Kim, so much for that.
1: Well, thank you for inviting me. It's been a joy to have this conversation with you.
0: Well, I'm glad you said that, because before you go, I do have one last question for you. And that is simply, Kim, what brings you joy? <laughs>
1: Oh, what brings me joy? Well, of course, you know, reading brings me joy. Um, But I would have to, I would say that water, um, being on the water or in the water is something that brings me great joy. Yeah. There's something kind of transcendent for me about water. I guess, you know, I am a Pisces. That's my sign. I'm a fish, a water sign person. I may have something to do with it. May also have something to do with that i've just been around water all my life even raised in the midwest so um so yeah water um being with my my son being with family and friends those are all that's wonderful that me.
0: yeah I, I love it and you can combine reading and water you can take a book to the bath <laughs> and you can take it to the beach so <laughs> that works really well
1: you can indeed
0: excellent well thank you kim and thank you our listeners for tuning in today, I hope you feel inspired and also empowered by my chat with Kim about the joy superpower of reading and especially about the, the superpower of reading to children to add more joy to your own life, as well as to the lives of your loved ones, especially children. If so, please visit the invisible visit your favorite bookstore to buy kim's book the invisible toolbox the power of reading to your child from birth to adolescence and why not hop onto social media and using the hashtag at joy superpowers share your own experiences on the power of reading we would appreciate that and if you don't already do so please follow the art and science of joy on instagram facebook and linkedin come and join in the conversation and help us spread the joy Thanks once again for listening, and I hope you tune in next week for the next episode of the Art and Science of Joy podcast.
1: Thank you.